Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello and welcome to Girls on Film, the film podcast from a female perspective. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and today I'll be talking to Little Women star Eliza Scanlon about her new film, Baby Teeth. I'll also be reviewing two more female-directed films with Metro newspaper critic Larushka Ivanzada. Hello. Thanks Hello. for having me back. Oh, well, it is always such a treat to have you on Girls on Film. How have you been? Great, yeah. Well, there's been a lot to see for once, so that's been... <laughs> and a lot of it by directed by women, so... yeah. You know what, that, it's been a really good time for films by women and we're going to talk about some of those today. Um, what do you think the reason is? Do you think one of the reasons is that smaller releases are inherently more likely to be directed by, by women and obviously they're getting more of a window at the moment? Sort of in well, I mean, it is very noticeable. I mean, ever since cinemas have started to reopen, there's a statistically disproportionate amount of films released by female filmmakers, which obviously is to be welcomed. Most of them debuts as well. Um, Love Sarah, St. Francis, Proxima, Summerland, Makeup, and now Baby Teeth. Um, and yeah, it does make you kind of go, what is going on? On, on the 31st of July, when all the sort of cinema, more and more cinemas opened, all three of the major theatrical releases that I reviewed in, in Metro in the newspaper were by women, which has literally never happened no, in I can't all think. my decades of reviewing. So yeah. I was like, oh. And, and what is that about? And, and I, I, I actually am not sure. I don't know. Yeah, if they think that they're not going to have such a big audience and they're going to they're going to just put them out in the cinemas anyway. I, I mean, it seems unlikely to me that more women are going to go to the cinema than than men if they were angling it in that in that way. Not that films by women must be watched by women, but you just wonder what the what the marketing reasoning behind that was. I hadn't thought about that one, but I don't think there would be anything to suggest that women are more likely to rush back to the cinema. No, um, I, I feel like it's perhaps a case of they're considered more risky, perhaps mm. films, sadly, by women and about women. And they're kind of putting them out now, partly because th this is a chance to pop something in the cinema and see how it does. Yeah. Um, because it's more it's of a not, risk. It's, yeah, it's not going up against a massive release. So mm. they, there's, there's more of a chance. But hopefully these films will do really well. People go see them, whether it's online or in the cinemas. And then we have more films funded by women. But also, there is, I mean, the, the advantages, a film like Love, Sarah, which um, I don't know if you saw, which is the one about um, starring Celia Imry about setting up a multicultural bakery in Notting Hill. I didn't um, see it. How was it? Uh, <laughs> uh, it was It was sort of gentle, quite nice right. comedy, set yeah. in Notting Hill. So it wasn't going to set the world on fire. But it had that advantage of being one of the few films released that week. So when I was chatting to Celia Imry about it, she was like, we were the number one film in New Zealand because there isn't, there isn't anything against it. So in terms of their track records, these films, they can sort of claim to be the number one film in the UK briefly even. And that, that can actually be of an advantage to them if they need to get financing in the future. So maybe it'll, maybe it'll help. That's good to know. Well, I'll check out Love Sarah. That sounds like a nice one for a sleepy Sunday. Yes, exactly. Um, now, uh, an altogether different prospect is The Baby Teeth, uh, mm -hmm. first film we're going to be talking about today. It's an Australian coming-of-age comedy drama film with 
dose of tragedy. It's directed by Shannon Murphy from a screenplay by Riti Kalenjes based on her stage play of the same name. And um, it stars Eliza Scanlon and Essie Davis and the great Ben Mendelsohn. Let's have a listen to a clip. He's a drug addict. Don't pigeonhole him like that. Thanks for being so kind of me. You're so kind of me. I lost money here. It looks cool. It's like way better than the one that I gave you. Emma, <laughs> there's no consequences. He's going to be back here again. Anna? What? Anna, I just need you to listen to me and think this through. I okay? didn't invite him here, Henry. The boy is desperate. I was dreaming about you, actually, when you came in. You dreamt about me? Yeah. N not... <laughs> <laughs> not... We weren't doing anything. You were just... You were just sort of... There. So that was Baby Teeth. Larushka, what did you think of Baby Teeth? I thought this was such an exciting film to watch. It felt vibrant. It felt directed with supreme assurance, given that Shannon Murphy is, is her feature debut. It had this kind of intense, jagged energy in some places and then a sort of dreamy quality in others. And as you said in, in the intro, it's, it's based on a play, but it feels like one of the least theatrical adaptations. It didn't feel like a play. So often when films are based on a play, they feel stagey. They feel like you can imagine this being in a room and people speaking in a different way on stage that they do in real life or, on, or in the cinema. And, um, and this just had such a cinematic quality to it. I would agree. I think she was incredibly assured. And it's one of those films that grips you from the outset. Uh, it's partly a love story um, about Eliza Scanlon's character, Mila, who is uh, terminally ill and falls for the local drug dealer, as you do. And it's a lot about her parents' reaction to that and I thought they really balanced a kind of slightly heightened reality with a sense that absolutely you believed any of this could happen. I mean, it's darkly comic, but it felt very realistic. Did it Did it ring true to you? Yeah, it has a very outre sort of tone. It's very full on. Um, I mean, this is an Australian film and, and to me it recalled uh, early Jane Campion films like Sweetie. Um, also films like Ice Storm, American Honey, Beast, um, there are lots of films that it recalled, but it, it has a unique feel of itself. Um, and there is a lot of dark humour in it. Um, there's, a, there's a fantastic scene, this sort of nightmarish meet the parents dinner scene where Miller brings back Moses, this incredibly unsuitable drug dealer, home for the first time to meet her parents at dinner. And he actually turns to be the best, uh, turns out to be the sort of best behaved of the lot of them, because uh, her mother is drugged off her, her face by her father and keeps going on about the forceps birth that she had to have to have Miller over this, this dinner. Um, and seems to be, you know, she's sort of, I think she's literally chewing prescription meds over the dinner. At one point, Moses goes to her, you've got blood in your mouth. I mean, this sounds pretty hideous, and it is an incredibly excruciatingly painful um, scene to watch, but it is very funny as well. And getting that tone right is so difficult, and um, I think the director manages it superbly. What did you think of Eliza Scanlon's performance? Uh, she is fantastic in this. It is strange, yes, that she's that she's playing a, a, an ill girl in Little Women and an ill girl here, such as, such as the way of things, I suppose. Um, I thought she was sensational in this and, and a revelation, um, but I actually um, loved Toby Wallace as well, because obviously she, she steals the show. This is kind of about her story. But Toby Wallace is her, as her boyfriend, Moses, who she literally sort of flings herself at. Um, just had this very effortless kind of sexy, edgy performance, um, but also gave this idea of a backstory um, and had to play vulnerability and had to play sort of caring about someone and 
you know, sort of cockiness. And he had to go through a lot of emotions, often without saying very much, um, in a way that, that, you know, sometimes performances like that can just seem so natural that you that you don't even realise it's acting. And, and um, I felt that he really had that quality, that kind of charisma to him. But I mean, all of the cast in this are, are strong, the, the four main leads, um, obviously Eliza Scanlon, Essie Davis, who we all love from, from The Babadook, and Ben Mendelsohn, who I do consider one of the finest actors working anywhere today. I mean, all of them are an absolute top form here. And I think that that is also what, there's a quite cartoonish kind of quirky feel to the film, but these characters you absolutely believe in. Not only do you believe they have a fully rounded character, that you have, that you believe they have this kind of fully a full personality complete with neurosis and complexes and yeah they have this sort of deep emotional kind of soul psychology wounded psychology behind them as well can i also say how beautifully shot it is as well the cinematography is gorgeous i think that the use of light and sunlight is tremendous and that and that really enhances some of the film's most touching scenes because this could really surprise you towards the end no spoilers but my gosh it can really hit you um, and also i think there was such a wonderful sense of taste and smell in, in the production design, mm. the costumes. I, I felt that when we first see Mo, Moses on a train platform, you, you look at him and you can you know what he smells like and it's not <laughs> it's, it's not very yeah. nice it's not very right. nice but he's one of the but but also there he does you're right here there is something sexy about him so you which is very contradictory so you put yourself in Miller's position you know as a young teenager he represents danger you know mm. and he and he there's something exciting about that um, and then she later then says his t-shirt smells which kind of enhances that effect <laughs> but I think but but again she, that's not put her off because she's going straight into danger or in the words of our executive producer Hedda does he represent death ah I see yes Hedda I think you're, you're you're right I mean this is a film that's about liminality it's about borders isn't it it's about sort of borders between childhood and adulthood and life and death and functional and dysfunctional and perception and reality um and it's constantly sort of digging and changing and sort of zigzagging around those borders. I think that's what's interesting because there's lots of conflict, but there's also, it doesn't really set up one side against another. It's about how everyone's sort of on those borderlines the whole time, particularly because they've all been pushed into it by, by the situation of Miller being ill. Um, what I also love about it is you'd think from the outset, this is going to be a, another one of those schmaltzy medical romances, of which there are many, aren't they? They're there kind are. Of, it's a whole genre in itself, The cancer isn't it? weepy, yeah. Yeah, the cancer weepy, exactly. Um, and that's part of the story, but it's, it's not the, in, the entire focus. It's how the ripple effects kind of come out from that. Um, and it's definitely not schmaltzy. Definitely not. So Baby Teeth is in cinemas now, and we would highly recommend it. Uh, let's have a listen to Eliza Scanlon, who I spoke to earlier. Eliza, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you. Uh, well, listen, in just four years, you've been in some of our favourite TV shows and films, Sharp Objects, of course, and Little Women, and now Baby Teeth, which we absolutely loved. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, now, there are many unusual things about this film, but what was refreshing from your point of view with your character especially? Um, that's a good question. I think that Miller is very unique and a very unique portrayal of um, a young girl who has cancer, especially considering what we've seen before in cinema. Yeah. Um, I, it's a very unflinching look at how a young person reacts to a trauma like that um but what i love so much about this portrayal is that there is literally no scene of a hospital or anything like that it's very much about 
um, a young girl coming into her body and um, have a, there's a realness and a nowness to Miller, um, and it's almost unsentimental. And I don't think I personally haven't seen that before um, with the typical cancer teenager movie. Yeah, there is definitely a type of sort of what they call cancer weepy, which is done very well, but it's much, it's a very different genre, isn't it? Um, yeah, and, right. And I love the dark humour in this. Um, it's really biting and close to the edge, but that that's one of the things that makes the film sing for me. Um, were there any particular scenes or, or moments that you particularly cherish along those lines? Oh, gosh, there's so many. Um you know, it it was a it's a sad story, but there were so many times on set where I just could not keep my laughter in, and working with Toby just didn't help with that at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I think that what was so enjoyable about making this film was the humor in it, and um, the humor is very physical. Um, so any opportunity that I had to utilize my physicality for comic effect, I found that really fun because I'd never done that before and I never would have expected um, a story like this to require something like that, which was really cool. Um, an, an example, I guess, would be when um, when Moses has breakfast with Miller in the morning and she I, he goes on he speaks about um i forget what he says i think it's something about i think the i think the world would be very boring if everybody was functional and mel's like oh yeah that's so true um <laughs> and she's just in love with him already and she goes into a bedroom to get dressed into a school uniform and she comes out as Henry's telling Moses that he needs to be careful um, messing Miller around. And she storms out. And I remember reading in the script at the end of that scene after Moses says, damn, uh, she has to flick her hair blondly. <laughs> and... <laughs> I was thinking about the many ways in which I could flick my hair blondely. Um, and so, like, it was it was just really funny to film because every time I came out of the bedroom, it was like coming through the curtains of a of a stage to to give another go at flicking my hair blondely. Um, so, yeah, there were moments like that were just pure fun. I can drop you at home after this, Moses. Oh, no, I, I don't want to put no, you out. No trouble. I can do it after I drop Miller at school. Hey, Moses, I don't know if you make a habit of this or not, that is, befriending girls that are significantly younger than yourself, but Miller's in a very vulnerable situation. God damn! That's a great moment to look out for when people watch this, and I'm going to have to rewatch it for, to watch you flicking your hair blondely. Brilliant. <laughs> um, tell me about Shannon Murphy because she seems like a fantastic talent to watch, and um, you know, obviously, we love to celebrate women, you know, in, in the front line of films here. Oh, she is incredibly intelligent, um, intellectually intelligent, also very emotionally intelligent. Um, even even doing press with her, I'm just kind of astounded by how eloquent eloquently she speaks about the film and 
um, it, it takes me back to the rehearsal time that we had with one another. And um, I think Shannon and I really connected because we communicate in a very similar way. Um, we're, we're both very collaborative and um, I guess at that point in the making of the film, I wasn't shooting it obviously. And I wanted to have a kind of objective perspective on the film before diving deep into Miller as a character. And to just listen to her speak about the film thematically was so fascinating. Um, and we worked very extensively together to create this character. Um, and I think what makes her so courageous as a director is to actually completely embrace the actor. Um, I found that with this film, I was required to utilize myself as Eliza more than I ever had on any other film. Um, and that, you know, manifested in the dancing, like I created an Instagram page for my character and. Oh, did you? (laughs) Yeah, I did. And I'd like post a daily video of me dancing because in, you know, I had conversations with Shannon and I was so worried about the dancing because Miller danced so much in the film and I just don't know how to dance and what I don't know what to do. Um, and so I made this thing and she she loved it and it was just things like that that were we were just really intimate in that way as director and actor and you don't always get that um and to just have that real shorthand with her was was super helpful what kind of conversations did you have specifically about Miller as a young woman and how people were perhaps reacting to her or judging her partly with her gender in mind Mm, um, I think irrespective of gender to begin with, it's, um, it was really interesting to speak with her and approach, um, organizations. There was, um, one organization in particular that we approached, um, called Canteen, uh, which support, they support, um, young people with cancer. Um, and we sort of spoke about the psychological effects of um cancer on a family and a lot of the time young people will act out well teenagers will act out even more than they usually would um as a a way to find their own independence and um it's really it's really hard for the family and in in many ways too the the parents become the children and um, these young people carry a lot of the emotional burden. Um, and uh, we also discussed uh, school life and how um, young people with cancer feel like many of them um, feel uncomfortable at school because they're seen in a different way. They're seen as the, the, the girl with cancer mm. um and that's a really hard thing to well especially at an age where you're already so vulnerable and yeah. you're constantly in flux it's um it's really hard to escape from a, a an image like that um and yeah I, I think she it's it's really interesting um to me um but in terms of gender um 
I haven't really thought about that, I guess. Um, I think that in the film, um, Miller, coming from an all-girls private school, has um, definitely had an effect on, um, I'm sure, how she, she interacts um, in her day-to-day life. I went to an all-girls private school and um, it's taken some time to shake off the shame um, that that imbues in you I guess the shame can you Uh, elaborate yeah I sure I guess shame is in um shame with sexuality um it wasn't spoken about at all at school um and you know of course female empowerment was was very much and this is all girl schools really um Female empowerment is definitely um, spoken about, but um, not in any way that's sexual. Sure. Um, and a huge part of, you know, being on the brink of girlhood and, and transitioning into womanhood is sexuality. Um, so to deny that or to pretend it's not there just seems so absurd to me. Um, and the I, I guess that's you could you could say that in order for Miller to experience love and ex- experience sex initially is to I guess ex- you know make an effort to escape from her own life and um, escape beyond the bounds of her parents. Um, but you know eventually her her parents. Um, come to accept her decisions and um, who she has fallen in love with. Uh, But, yeah, it's tricky. I think a lot of women deal with the same thing. I did, yeah, as someone who went to private school. So I think you've isolated a very important point there. Um, Talking of young women, of course, we have to talk about little women. Um, how How did that film change your life? Did it, I mean, it must have been a huge experience for you. And congratulations. Thank you. Oh, my gosh, it was a... It was a life-changing experience for sure. Um, And when I got the role, I was just doing my first ever round of press for Sharp Objects. And I had sent through a self-tape. And then when I was in New York doing press for Sharp Objects, I met Greta for an audition. And it was a week later that I found out I had the role. And I just, you know, I just... When I got that role, I knew that I was my life was going to change um, in the best possible way, and um, I was going to learn so much, and I did. And it was, yeah. It, it, even now, it's really hard to comprehend that it had even happened because um, it feels like such a dream. It was really, truly, an honor to work on that set and, and be a part of that film, and. Um, so many intelligent minds in the same room. Are you? Do you keep in regular touch with everybody? Yeah, I do. I do. Sash and Florence and Emma and Laura and Greta. Greta just had a baby, um, so that's super exciting. Um, but it's unfortunate because we all live in separate parts of the country. I mean, the world. Well. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure when I'll see them again. Oh, 
Well, we'd love to see you all back on screen together. Uh, meantime, tell us what else you've got coming up, because I think you've got some exciting things on the horizon. Yes, I'm doing an M. Night Shyamalan film, uh, which is super exciting. Shrouded in mystery, um, no doubt. Shrouded in mystery. I cannot say anything <laughs> beyond that. I'm, I apologise. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, I'm, I feel very lucky to, to be working, um, you know, during a, a pandemic. So uh, very, very grateful for that. And did you write and direct a short film yourself? Is that correct? Yes, I did. So will we see more from you um, on, the, on the big screen in terms of being behind the camera? I hope so. Um, it was an incredible challenge making the short film. And, um, you know, after seeing Shannon work and seeing Greta work, I was very inspired to do the same thing. And it's something I've always dreamt of doing. And ever since I was a kid, I've been making films. So it, it feels right to, to give it a go. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'll end up doing it, doing it again. It's just, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know anyone who, I, I feel like I'm in the right part sort of commenting on it rather than actually making it. I'm in awe of anyone that makes film. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I'm sure you get asked about women in film a lot and sort of interesting a time that you've come into film because obviously mm. um, things have changed quite a lot in the last few years, um, you know, since Time's Up and Me Too. Um, how, do, how positive do you feel about the future of women both in front of the camera and behind the camera being just being taken more seriously and better representation all round? I, I think I'm very positive, um, you know, like you said, I've been introduced into the industry at a very ideal time um, where things are consciously being improved. So I'm very lucky to say that I guess I don't know any different. Um, uh, but I can only hope that there are more procedures put in place to ensure that there is um, equality on set and, um, you know, uh, we've seen that the Me Too movement and or just seeing female stories on screen, it, it hasn't just been the flavour of the month, it's um, continued and um, there's been uh, a continued interest in seeing those stories. So um, it's, I think it's pretty clear that these stories are important and they're needed. Um, and at least on my end, I'm seeing, I mean, the things that I'm receiving and I'm auditioning for, they're, they're very much in, in service of that too. Um, but in terms of production companies and, um, you know, set life, I, I think it's up to those um, prominent companies to, I guess, have some kind of quota I'm not sure um I'm only an actor I don't know um <laughs> but you make such great feminist choices so I'm sure you've got a good view on it <laughs> yeah I do and I do I do always appreciate it when you walk onto a set and you see when you and you see females there um it's crazy that that's so much to ask apparently um but you know it's changing it is. And it must feel, does it feel, do you think, very helpful for you um, for something particularly like Baby Teeth, which has some quite challenging scenes and sex scenes to have a woman that you're working with and dealing with and have, have lots of women around you? Do you find that helpful? 
Yeah, of course. Um, it was incredibly helpful for this film and Shannon had a very um, a kind uh, sensibility approaching um, these scenes in particular and it was also really exciting to see that this film, you know, m most of the heads of department on this film were female, um, which doesn't happen a lot, I gather. Uh, so uh, to have that energy is, is very important and it's also really important um, for Shannon too. Yeah, absolutely. And before I let you go, I'd love to talk a little bit more about your co-stars and your, your parents, because really what an incredible kind of chemistry you had. In fact, the four of you really. Um, how much rehearsals did you all do together to kind of build those very complex relationships? Oh my gosh, they're amazing. And we, we did have quite a few rehearsals actually. Um, ben was super excited to get into it. Um, and he actually had Toby and I over for lunch one day to go through lines. And then we had a bunch of rehearsals with us four going through the dinner scene and a scene later in the film where Miller confronts her parents and um, Moses, um, and yeah, I, I think because this film, well, the writer of the film, Rita Carnier, she comes from a theatre background, so um, the progression of a scene is, um, at least to me, it's it's quite theatrical, and um, to find the beats within that is it's helpful to go through beforehand um and i th i think rehearsals always helpful um so and also shannon comes from a theater background too so it was equally as important for her to to run the scenes um and you know ben and essie are both they're very uh, different actors um i think ben kind of flows into a scene more and essie is more meticulous with every choice she makes and it was a real joy and pleasure and honor for toby and i to witness that and work alongside that um yeah we were just in awe of them really well the, re the results really are truly amazing and it's one of our favorite films of the year is there anything else you wanted to leave the girls on film listeners with either about baby teeth or anything else Oh, gosh, just watch it, I guess, please. Um, during a pandemic, I think it's pretty awesome that this film has come out. Um, and yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what it's like over there, but it might be nice to get yourself to a cinema. Definitely. I, mean, I haven't done that in such a long time. No, I haven't actually. And they're starting to open here now. And we're so excited to be able to go awesome. out and see stuff on the big screen because that's where it's meant yeah. to be and, and watch it with the crowd of people and sense of community. So yeah, best of luck. Totally. I hope lots of people go to see it. That was the great Eliza Scanlon talking about baby teeth. And now I'd like to welcome back Larushka. Welcome back, Larushka. Hello. Um, now we're going to talk about a couple of other female directed films, yay, that are <laughs> out at the moment. Um, the first of these is Makeup. It comes from a debut director called Claire Oakley. It stars Molly Windsor as a girl who's uh, in a remote holiday park in Cornwall visiting her boyfriend. And she's drawn into an obsession with a local girl when she thinks her boyfriend has cheated on her. Let's have a listen to a clip. You scared of the water? 
the sea is a great healer. How long are you staying? I don't know. Your parents know you're here. You don't want no trouble. <laughs> Do you know a girl with long red hat? What'd you just say? Give me an electric shock. It's not about what it looks like. It's how it makes you feel. So that was makeup. Um, Larishka, there's a lot of different genres and um, things going on with this. There's kind of body horror, there's thriller, there's also a bit of realist drama there. What did you make of it? I know, you're absolutely right. And and the fact it's sort of set on the Cornish coast made me think of Poldark and it's going to be one of those kind of gorgeously shot landscape films, which it isn't because it's set in this incredibly enclosed, claustrophobic end of season holiday park. Um, it, I thought this was an extraordinary uh, film. It's like this complete curiosity because it starts in one sort of thing where you think, oh, it's, you know, it's going to be about this girl and in fact she thinks that her boyfriend's cheating on her so you think it's going to be this sort of strange jealousy drama then as you say it kind of goes into body horror there's quite a lot of that kind of feeling of repulsion this girl going a bit sort of like um becoming obsessed and going slightly mad looking at the four walls of her strange camper van in this holiday park and what is real and what is not and what exists in the house in in inside her own head and what doesn't um and then it becomes this sort of identity drama i mean I just thought there's so much going on in this film, perhaps a bit too much. Um, you know, it's not a perfect film, but my goodness, it's ambitious and it's really fascinating. I agree. I think it's it's not perfect, but I did love it. I was drawn into it. And I thought, once again, this is an example of a really exciting filmmaker to watch, you know, Claire Oh, Oakley. absolutely. What yeah, it's talent. got a very expressionistic, amazing, you know, expressionist in that kind of black swan, you're inside this girl's head, what's going on, what's her reality. Um, and you hardly ever get out of it. So you, you don't, you never really see sort of objectively what, what the situation would be. I mean, it's so atmospherically charged. As you say, I think Claire Oakley has a real vision here. She's a real visionary new talent to watch. Well, it's also very intense um, when it comes to portraying the personal female experience of, of our lead character. And I think that that's something quite interesting. And I thought the way it examined just how she, for example, prepares to have sex with her boyfriend, I thought there was there's quite interesting nuances there that I hadn't <laughs> seen on screen before. Um, so I thought, yeah, she's such an interesting person. And in fact, we've got an interview with Claire on our BFI YouTube show now. So if you head on over to YouTube, um, to British Film Institute YouTube, you can see my interview with Claire, who is such a, a modest and a humble and quiet person. It's so interesting. Really? <laughs> yeah, because she's made this really bold film and um, she's a fascinating person to chat to, but she's sort of quite, she's quite shy and humble, which is very interesting. And perhaps a little bit like her central character. Yes, exactly. Played by Molly Windsor, who's the BAFTA winner for, for Three Girls, who is another brilliant British talent to watch. Um, and she's brilliantly paired with um, Stephanie Martini, who was uh, who played the kind of young Helen Mirren in Prime Suspect in 1973 on, on telly, um, who's meant to be the sort of free-spirited, um, you know, sexually confident girl um, who the Molly Windsor character has a bit of a, a crush on. But I, I love the way that it's sort of nothing in this film is simple everything is charged with different meaning and charged with things that are going to expect you and you literally do not know where this film is going to go because it just doesn't give you all the sort of signposts that you'd expect
Yeah, keeps you on your toes. So that's makeup. It's in cinemas and it's on Curzon Home Cinema as well if you want to watch it at home. Now, another very interesting film from a female director, hooray, it's called <laughs> Summerland. Um, now, this stars Gemma Arterton and it's directed by Jessica Swell, who's a theatre director. Um, and Gemma stars as a reclusive writer in World War II, living in the country. She has her life upended when a young boy called Frank, an evacuee, is left in her care. And meanwhile, she also reminisces about her relationship with Vera, played by Gugu Mbatha Raw. Let's have a listen to a clip. Do you miss him? You are allowed to. You was your father. I think you're remarkable. To get by with no one. So Summerland, Lirishka, this is um, this is as it sounds quite a sunny film, <laughs> um, quite a, a sense of nostalgia, and it deals with themes about loss and grief and longing and love. Um, did you enjoy it? You sound like you didn't enjoy it so much. I, I, I did enjoy it. And it was, it's a very interesting companion piece, weirdly, with makeup. It was released in cinemas in, in the same week, and both of them are these kind of lesbian... Uh, sort of coming of age dramas set on the English coast, which is <laughs> kind of kind of how often does that happen twice in a week? Um, I did like it. It is a little bit too pretty. Um, literally, Gemma Arterton, who's this obviously she's a gorgeous screen presence. She's a lovely person. Um, plays this character Alice Lamb, who is this fiercely recluse, reclusive and unlikable character very spiky. There's a bit where she sort of literally steals chocolate from under the nose of children and the children of the village all hate her, call her a witch and sort of poke twigs and mud through her letterbox. And you can see why, because she's actually really not very nice. But in order for her to become sympathetic, she's played by Gemma Arterton, who everybody likes. And there's a slightly like, there's a sort of quite, not dangerous, but radical and interesting film here and an interesting script, which is sort of I, I sort of actually quite like the way it's sort of smuggled in under the cover of this very gorgeous looking sunny escapist piece of period drama because it is about actually uh, this this woman and her sort of secret lesbian past um, with a mixed race woman called Gugu uh, played by Gugu Mbatha Raw so that that's a pretty radical story to be told in that time and they don't sort of the, the script and the, the film doesn't sort of mm, overplay that they don't have the villagers coming down like a tongue of bricks on her they do sort of sort of regard the alice lamb character with suspicion but it is more to do with her prickly character more than anything else um and that allows it perhaps to be a bit more escapist and a bit more fun and a bit more just sort of rosy tinted and then i don't know then it's realistic but it makes it enjoyable viewing and so many you know, dramas about lesbian romances historically in the cinema have been doom laden and it's all disaster and you can never have a happy ending. And it's actually really quite nice and quite refreshing to have one that that's told with the same sort of rosy tint of nostalgia and enjoyment and escapism that 
that you can, you know, other people who enjoy other genres can enjoy. Well, exactly. It doesn't all have to be pain and doom and gloom. Yeah. And, and we've talked about this on Girls and Film before, I think, with um, Dating Amber. You know, it's great mm. to have lesbian stories that are kind of happy and yes, people, exactly. people aren't too tortured. Um, actually, I did really like Summerland. I thought it was mm. lovely. I know that um, some people maybe felt that it's, it goes quite far in the direction of the cosy Sunday viewing. But by goodness, this is kind of what we need at the moment. And I found it moving. I went with it. Um, I, I sort of cried at the end. I thought it was lovely. And I do think that it's, you're right, it smuggles in a, a really, several really important messages. Um, and as you point out, it has quite a lot of common ground thematically with makeup, even though they're very, very different films. So this is one of the reasons we got Gemma Arterton and Jessica Swell on, on the same BFI YouTube show, which you can see now. And um, I spoke to Jessica and Gemma about what you're talking about, which is um, you know the various messages. And, and Jessica in particular was saying, that she wanted to present these things without necessarily commenting on them. I mean, they do talk about the fact that it's difficult for women with women to be accepted, but mm. also the race issue. Nobody talks about the fact that there are biracial characters in it. They just are. Yeah. You know, they're just presented as they are. And, um, you know, the lesbian romance is presented in a very positive light. And, you know, this is all within the kind of film that you know retired people might go and see at the local cinema and and enjoy um you know and have nice tea afterwards and it and and i think that to have that in that very mainstream package is really valuable yeah i think so it's including um the lesbian story the biracial story in that fantasy world you know why shouldn't we it's a fantasy world we're talking here this is a, this is a film it is set in a historical period and some people might go well historically people wouldn't have done that you're like but yes as you say it's a cozy afternoon viewing it is it should be, you know, we should celebrate and include that diversity within these lovely escapist stories. Why can't everybody else enjoy and celebrate seeing themselves in those situations, not just, yes, the sort of same white establishment uh, figures that we always see. Exactly. And as Jessica said, you know, actually, people think that um, history was more white than it was because we've been whitewashing history in films. So, yes, you know, there probably would have been more biracial characters and, you know, people from other races actually in, in that town, in that time. But we're just not used to seeing them on screen. So um, I think, yeah, that's another recommendation for Summerland. Mm, definitely. Great. So that's in cinemas now. Um, now, Larishka, I wanted to end with something that was brought to my attention, um, which is very interesting because, as you will remember, we used to have a regular spot where we talked about the Bechdel test. Mm hmm and um, uh, in fact, I've discovered one of our listeners has started um, the Clit Test, uh -huh. which celebrates TV shows, films, books and music that acknowledge that the clitoris, not the vagina, is the source of orgasm for at least 80% of women or people with vulvas. Um, I think this is a really interesting wow. idea. Um, and they've made a list um, of things and you can go to their website, theclittest.com, and see, you know, if your favourite films test all pass. They haven't got a full list so far, but I was kind of really interested to see, like, Ladybird passes, Cold Mountain passes. I didn't really? remember that, but if you click on it, it explains why, and you're like, okay, some of them are really borderline. But mm. um, I think this is a, a really important point, because in sex scenes, so often, you know, it, we've talked about this on Girls before, before, but, you know, it's about, you don't see the woman's pleasure in particular. Um, but but yeah. this is very specific, this one. What do you think? Yes, it's very specific. I was thinking of women's pleasure, which when I think of women's pleasure on, on screen and how it's portrayed, particularly by men, it does make me think of that scene in Showgirls uh, with <laughs> her sort of thrashing about, poor Elizabeth Barkley thrashing about in the fountain on top of... Uh, uh, Kyle MacLachlan uh, supposedly having an orgasm in the middle of the swimming pool. Uh, but um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is a really it's a bit of fun, but it, it also is, I think, incredibly valuable. This this test. I mean, there are various tests around, but this I think this definitely has validity. Um, and I have noticed recently that there are, you know, more definitely in cinema, you you see women masturbating in a way that or giving themselves pleasure in a way that you never would have ten years ago. I mean, it's relatively new, isn't it? And also yeah. in mainstream cinema, and I think that's really important. Because um, I think of something like American Pie from my teenage years, where you see uh, the teenage boy masturbating in his bedroom and it's really funny. But you never see teenage girls of that era masturbating. Or if you did, it was kind of like really, it was alluded to, but you would never have seen it. Yeah. You know, you just never would have seen it. Even in American Pie, they sort of allude to that. And when they do have uh, girls masturbating or, or, or references to that, it is almost always with reference to a dildo or some sort of yeah. shaped object. So I think in American pies, isn't it? it um, the, there is a girl who talks about masturbation, but it's to do with her, her flute. flute or something. Yeah. <laughs> that one time in band camp. Yeah, the yeah. one time in band camp. Um, but yeah, it's always like, well, that's what it's about. There would still be um, some sort of penis involved in giving pleasure. It's like not allowed to happen in cinema without that occurring. That's so true. Yeah, that's very much a man's idea, isn't it? It's funny because I mentioned this to Ben, my husband, and he went, what about meaning of life? Monty Python's meaning of life. And that is actually passing the, the clit test because they have a scene in the school where John Cleese is, um, is sort of going out, oh, yes. talking about <laughs> foreplay and how do we warm her up? I'm not sure this is necessarily the most positive example for girls on film. But, but you it, couldn't get more white male establishment than, I, than Monty Python's meaning of life. So it does exist if you look for it hard enough, it like does. the clitoris, as they always say. Yes, yes, stampede towards the clitoris <laughs> it was actually I just rewatched it it's sort of quite funny but um, but yeah it's very white male boarding school yeah um, but but there are a lot of things that, that su surprisingly pass and some that, that don't so um, I would welcome people to go on to clittest.com and tell Francis and Irene about their passes and their fails and uh, maybe we can get them on the show someday because I think I think it's a yeah valuable oh, idea yeah yeah, yeah. Well, Arushka, thank you so much for joining Girls on Film again. It's been such a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Any last message for the Girls on Film listeners? Uh, oh, I don't know. Go out to the cinema and see these films if you can. If you feel safe doing so, it would be great to support these films by female directors so that, you know, studios take, you know, go, yes, there is an audience for this cinema. Every click that you take, every download that you do, it does make a difference. Here, here. And is there anything you're working on you'd like to uh, flag up to the listeners? No, I've got nothing to promote. Don't worry. About <laughs> nothing to promote. <laughs> Just giving you the opportunity. You know. Thank you very we, we much. We can see your reviews in Metro as ever. And I always enjoy reading them. So, Lorishka, thank you so much for being Girls on Film. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Girls on Film, an HLA production, exec produced by Hedda Archbold. This episode was audio produced by Tom Wally. Thanks to our principal partner, Peter Brewer, and our intern, Heather Dempsey. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us and follow us on socials, please. You can get us on Twitter at girlsonfilm underscore pod and Instagram at girlsonfilm underscore podcast. See you soon. This is the worst possible parenting I can imagine.